When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby. And I'm Adam Bob. Thanks for joining us once again. If it's your first time listening to First Act, Adam and I are two journalists and friends with a combined 40 years experience doing interviews with the best of the best. That is right, Sess. So on First Act, we delve deep into the origin stories of Australia's most fascinating entrepreneurs and personalities. So far this season, we've had plenty of laughs, life lessons, and the odd teary eye or two, I believe. If you're enjoying it as much as we are, don't forget to pop a five-star rating or review wherever you're listening to this podcast. We appreciate that so much. Now, Sess, give us a lowdown on today's first act guest. Now, today's guest needs no introduction, but I'm going to do one anyway. <laughs> Let's do a little recap. She's the founder of Australia's most talked about PR agency. At just the age of 24, she built that up from a fabulous business to have a rep as a queen of fashion, hospitality and lifestyle PR, while also dabbling in film for TV shows like The Celebrity Apprentice and SAS Australia and writing four books. And her swag of businesses now includes the Ministry of Talent, Pixies Picks, XRJ Celebrations and, spoiler alert, Roxy Chesenko Accessories. Welcome to First Act, Roxy. What an intro. I can't believe I've stood you up like five times to get to this point. Had I have known how good I sounded in that intro, I would have been there first time. <laughs> well, well, good things come to those who wait, so we're very happy to have you here today. Uh, we're going to start with what we call our first act icebreaker. Today's icebreaker is, Roxy, if you could live the life of someone else for a day, who would it be and why? Now, this is, I'm thinking about this like a body swap movie, you know, like Suddenly 30 or Freaky Friday, you know, one of those, like if I could live someone else's life. What, who would it be? Like Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Okay, this is a really talk about having to think on one's feet. Uh, I'm just a simple PR girl. Jeez Louise. Okay, you know what? It'd be The Rock. And it would be The Rock because when you think about it, this is a guy who's gone from being a fighter and developed his brand and become. I mean, he's quite the entrepreneur. You know, he's got the energy drink. He's got the tequila. He's got like 330 million followers on Instagram. And the interesting thing for me is that my eight-year-old son talks about him, but then at the same time, the chap who I was doing gym with this morning at 27 talks about him. So the ability to take himself from being that um, WW whatever fighter and develop himself into more than just that Fast and the Furious franchise, you know, um, drink connoisseur. It's quite amazing to see someone with the ability to actually push the limits and take them that far. That's so true in that he's one of those people that everybody likes and that is so, so unusual. Now, we were talking about, uh, you know, 
kids talking about The Rock and the 27-year-old talking about The Rock. Now, PR also relies on a lot of good talking and good networking and as well as, of course, the quality of the product or the service that's been spruiked. So can I ask, as a kid, were you the one with the gift of the gab? Were you always selling excellent ideas to everybody? No. You know, I guess for me... I was pushed into being able to sell ice to Eskimos because I wasn't book smart. So, I mean, I had a wonderful um, opportunity to be, but I chose to be lazy and I chose not to apply myself. Um, And because of that, I guess the moment I was able to get a job at 14, I took a job at McDonald's because I wanted to have my own money. Um, The second I finished school, I went straight into work as a receptionist. I didn't have the smarts um, at at a young age, I had determination, but I didn't have the ability to apply myself enough to read the book, you know, to, to be able to write the essay on it. I'd read the crib notes and then still fail miserably. So I never had it in me. What I had was work ethic and determination to be rich, as weird as that sounds. I just wanted to never want. Um, I wanted to be able to have. And with that, I guess I taught myself, okay, well, you're not going to be a lawyer. You're not going to be a doctor. You're not going to be a dentist. Whatever you do, you have to be the best at it. And if it's the most basic of basic, look, PR is no rocket science. It's just servicing um, and coming up with creative ideas. Now, those ideas, because of the era we're in, they don't even have to be your own. I can look abroad and see something on Instagram and tweak it to suit here. So I never had it. I taught myself to have it because I didn't have the smarts to be able to be a journalist or a doctor or a lawyer. I didn't have them. I would never have got into uni. So, Roxy, you mentioned that McDonald's was was your first job. And that is it's actually something really consistent we hear from a lot of people. A lot of great entrepreneurs have sort of started out with that as a first job. Now, you worked at the drive-thru. What do you think you learned from that experience that, you, that you've kind of carried through? And you talk about, you know, servicing and servicing customers. Is that, do you think that that's something that started around that time? Without a question. You know, what McDonald's gives you, and I think parents need to really um, double down on, you know, their kids at the age of 14 going out and getting a job in those kind of franchise businesses because it teaches you policies, it teaches you procedures, it teaches you um, the important steps. Now, you know, every move I make in my business, there's steps to where I, how I get to it. You know, when we pack toys for Pixie's Picks, we pull in a certain bin, we label them a certain way, we pack them in a certain fashion. Those policies and procedures come from learning at 14, okay, if someone comes in and orders a Happy Meal, it goes in the bag that's this size. If someone comes in and orders just a drink, well, you're not going to give them a holder unless they ask for it because that's going to cost the business more money. There's steps that seem really trivial and basic, but like for me, sometimes you see someone throw a handful of napkins in a takeaway bag and you're like, there's enough food in there for one person, doll. Why have you given me 55 napkins? (laughs) Now, it's trivial and I'm not here about saving the world. I'm here about the cost to business for 55 napkins for one person versus two, it all adds up. So that's what McDonald's teaches you. And that's what those kind of large franchises, they they teach you those things, which in life are important. Hmm. Did you pick up any lessons also from your parents? Because they're in the rag trade, weren't they? And um, yes. were there any thoughts from you? You know, you said you're not book smart, 
but um, you obviously saw them and their business and what was going on with them. Fashion's not normally associated with book smart either. So was there never any no. idea that you might go into fashion to begin with rather than PR? Look, I tried, but and I actually studied at East Sydney Tech and I did fashion manufacturing, to which I never finished. As I said, I wasn't good at applying myself. I did a year of three years. And then I went to work for my mum and dad and I lasted for about five minutes and my mum sacked me. And I'm glad she did. She sacked me because I was an 18-year-old know-it-all. And it was not going to serve me well to stay there and cruise. She knew if she sacked me, I had to put that CV together. I had to go out there and and sell myself for someone to want to employ me and give me a job. So at the time, I thought she was a real bitch. Now, I think she did me the biggest favour she could have given me because it made me go out there. It made me go, shit, I need to do this on my own. Um, They... You know, the fashion business they were in was very middle market women's wear. It was large quantities. It it wasn't, you know, um, designer by any stretch. So I watched them be in there at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd go with them and then I'd make my way from their office to school. I watched them work Saturdays and Sundays. So I guess my determination and drive and my ability to apply myself in my own businesses has come from growing up seeing that. You know, they weren't people who got lucky and were born into money. Absolutely not. Um, Far from it. My mum grew up in the east end of London um, and my dad was from um, Ryde in Sydney, which is a nice area, but by no means is it Point Piper of Sydney, you know, with $30 million mansions on the water. So I guess because of my upbringing, don't, don't get me wrong, I never wanted for anything, but it wasn't given like you see these days, for nothing. It was, if you want, you work. Um, So that's where it's come from, no doubt about it. The policies and procedures, the methodical way I operate the business, which some people would see as OCD, comes from my experience working in McDonald's. Um, But then the determination and drive and the obsession with succeeding has been driven from my parents and watching them. And then you, you obviously after, you know, after working for your mother, after getting fired by your mother, you worked, you know, you worked as a receptionist at Diesel. Yeah. You've, you've had those experiences where you kind of, you know, you immerse yourself in the fashion world and learning what that took. You started Sweaty Betty at 24. Now, anybody starting their business in their 20s, you know, that is, it's so, it's so young to start a business. What was going through your head at that time? If I look at it now as a 41-year-old, if someone starts a business now at 24, it's almost old. Whereas at 24, when I started in 2004, it was really young. It was ballsy and um, people didn't really know how to take it. People who'd been in the industry of PR for some 20, 30 years didn't like it because I was hungry. I didn't have experience. So I was willing to do stuff for a very low price because I didn't feel I could charge any more without the experience of 20 or 30 years under my belt. So they saw that as me undercutting. So it wasn't easy, I'll tell you that much. Why I did it was because I had this great opportunity. I was working for Diesel. I started as their receptionist for the late Mark Keery um, and Theo Honest Faroo, um, who were, you know, who were both and Theo is still around, a brilliant businessman, Um, they let me move throughout that business. I I changed roles all the time within that business. I was there for four years. Um, 
I got a call one day. I was still sitting at the reception desk, even though I had a business card as being the PR and marketing manager, still sat at the reception desk. Um, <laughs> and this particular chap, the late Brian Tinnant, who was at the time one of the biggest importer of designer brands, said to me, oh, Roxy, seen what you're doing with diesel. Do you want a job? And I was like, you know, 20, I was like 23 or 20, nearly 24 at that time. I was like, what the hell is this person doing? If my boss hears this, I'm literally dead meat now in my ear. You know, I had never been in a position where someone would poach you. Well, it planted the seed for me. And at the time I said, oh, no, 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 not for me. And then I thought about it a bit more for about, I think, five minutes. And I was like, fuck, yes, I should do this. Because he'd said to me, come work for me. If you don't want to work for me, I've got Von Dutch, the brand. It was the biggest brand, you know, we'd seen. Paris Hilton was wearing it, Dennis Rodman, every major celebrity was wearing this Von Dutch cap. He said, if you don't want to work for me, start your own business and I'll give you my portfolio of brands. So the next day I gave my notice and I did it. (laughs) Ballsy. (laughs) I didn't think about it, you know, because I guess... I've always been, if something comes your way, you take the opportunity and you worry about the finer detail afterwards. I've never wanted to be the person who sees the opportunity, thinks about it for five years and then goes, oh, maybe I'll do it now. Well, it's dead and buried by then. It's like my books. I've never read a freaking book. But guess what? After Celebrity Apprentice, I was approached by Alan and Unwin via our generic office email and the lady, Claire, the publisher at the time, said to me, do you want a book? And I wrote back and was like, oh, yeah, I've never read one, but why not? <laughs> you sound like Elmer person. <laughs> so, you know, what that did for me was it made me go, okay, well, I'll now be not only the only publicist with 102 brands at the time, number two, the publicist with five books under her belt, number three, the publicist that's even managed to get herself on Celebrity Apprentice. So I guess it's always, I think one of the biggest things about being an entrepreneur is is take the risk. You worry about the finer details later because if you don't take the risk, someone else will and you'll be forgotten about. So you, you, when did you move into that little tiny office space that you are actually now back at and your mum is the landlord of, but it's a massive, massive yeah. office space now, isn't it? Look, my mum and dad have always owned a lot of property. They were very smart. When they started to make money in the clothing industry, they invested heavily in property in the local area of Alexandria. It was the best thing they could have done because, you know, obviously then, um, you know, back in the the 70s and 80s, a building was $3 million. Now that building today is $40 million. So I was very, very lucky that my parents had a spare office space in one of the developments that they had. So my mum said to me, well, okay, you're going to do this. I don't even know what freaking PR is, but no problem. Why don't you take that office suite? And it was a very small office suite, suite four of 52 Queen Street. So in I went, I had a dining table in the main area of the ground floor of the office as my boardroom. I had a small Ikea desk, a fax machine and a cordless phone. 
and I kicked it off. I didn't have to pay rent, so I had no overheads. My only overheads were buying the clothing racks and the bits and pieces I needed to display the products that I was repping. The first, first week of business, it was Von Dutch, Dolce & Gabbana, Diane von Furstenberg, Kenzo, Christian Lacroix, and that was all the brands of this one chap who'd poached me. Um, so I used money. I actually was driving home from work one day when I was working for my mum and dad, and I was stopped in Redfern. And in those times, cars didn't automatically lock the doors when you started moving. So I'm, you know, minding my own business. I'm in my little golf. I've got my handbag on the side of the seat next to me. I stop at the traffic lights in the main area of Redfern, (laughs) and my bag gets snatched. No sooner had I stopped, the car door got opened on the passenger side and my bag got snatched. The reason I tell you is I made an insurance claim because I was obviously in my own vehicle, which was um, insured, and I got $12,000 for the item. So there was digital camera, there was mobile phones, there was a laptop, there was a Gucci bag I'd been given for my 18th. So that $12,000 insurance payout went to setting up the business. And that's all I needed because I only needed a phone, a fax machine, a computer, um, a few Ikea bits and pieces for display and stationery. Because in those days, you'd need stationery. You'd need stationery to be able to send out a proposal. Email was really not a thing. You would do your proposal, you would print it out and you would hand deliver it with a nice um, ring binding. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how times have changed. So when I was an entertainment reporter in a previous life, previous job, I remember liaising with you and the Sweaty Betty team uh, with regards to with one of your clients, and you were so speedy and would respond to emails at all hours. Now, do you have any limits on emails, like no response times or any kind of productivity rules in your life that you absolutely cannot... No, not at all. No, no. And it fucking irritates me that people have this thing at the bottom of their email. We support healthy working. If we answer this out of hours, you can reply at your own time. You know what, guys? This is a fast-moving, changing world. We're all struggling to turn a dollar to come off the back of um, COVID. Now or never, you know, like, I'm sorry, maybe everyone thinks I'm a mad person, but make every opportunity that comes in one that you action there and then. Let everyone else be the lazy one. I'll be lazy when I'm 65 and retired and I'll answer you in in a day's time. But for now, when I'm willing and I'm able and I want to be the best in my game, my phone's in my hand anyway, I'm scrolling Instagram doesn't make a difference if I take five minutes from stalking someone's Instagram page to give you the information you need. Nope. Well, Roxy, this is why you're so good at what you do. But have there been moments in your PR career where you've just gone, you've, there's been something that's gone colossally wrong and you've had to pick up the pieces afterwards and just gone, oh, God, like maybe I shouldn't have answered that too quickly or, or just or something <laughs> has happened or you're cleaning up someone else's mess or what's something, what's no. one moment that stands out to you? Oh, tell you every day is an absolute bitch and anyone who says when you're running your own business you're going to go for lunch and you're going to do this and if you wake up and you can't be bothered to go to work you won't because you're the boss they're living in a dream I would say to you every day is a bitch every day is fucking hard staff are really challenging 
you know, managing different personalities, managing client expectations, which can be totally unrealistic. No day is a joy. Um, that's the honest truth. When people look at my life of fast cars, handbags, you know, extravagant vacations, every element of those materialistic things has come from pure aggravation. They haven't come because I got lucky. They've come because I'm the person who'll fill that six marrow skip bin to empty our old office rather than getting someone to do it because they'll take two days when I can do two hours. Um, I, I would say to you, um, there's been nothing that's gone horribly wrong because I have my finger on every move that is made across my businesses. Yes, it's control freak. It's yes, it's OCD, but I would rather be fully immersed than pick up the pieces when there's a fuck up. Right, so uh, every day is a bitch. It's full of challenges, but you've had yes. some some great successes. And uh, but also uh, in the past, like ten years or so, you've been faced with some incredible challenges as well. Personally, famously, your husband going to jail, your yep. own diagnosis with breast cancer. Now, given you're going every day is a bitch and everything's hard work, how is it that you get through that and you're able to run your business and raise your kids? and still have a grasp on everything? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, You know, I do it and I do it with a smile on my face for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to disappoint my parents and at 41 it seems a strange thing to say and I am estranged from my father. But I feel that my parents gave me a, um, a good chance to make something of myself and to really make them proud I keep doing it. I know it sounds weird. And then the second thing, there's probably three things. The second thing is my two children. I want to give them the opportunities that I was afforded. That is a lovely school upbringing, opportunities to participate in extracurricular activities, you know, the opportunity to travel and see different cultures and see different countries. And then thirdly, because of my husband, you know, I have been the backbone of our family for the last 10 years of our, of our marriage. Obviously, it's been very heavily documented. I have a responsibility to be able to back him no matter what. That's both financially and obviously, I suppose, um, mentally. Um, and because of that, I have got a huge pressure on me to make sure that I deliver there is a lot of pressure on me. Every day is filled with pressure. You know, we can have a client for two weeks and in two weeks that client expects that they should be on the cover of the Daily Telegraph. And you're like, mate, you're selling protein. How am I going to get your protein brand that you started a month ago on the cover of the Daily Telegraph in two weeks. There's a lot of unrealistic expectations out there. When people pay for a service, they want blood. But my driver absolutely is my family and being able to make my parents proud. I feel that it is my duty to do so. And that's why I keep doing it. I wouldn't do it otherwise. If days are filled with drama, because they are, and we all know in our work lives, your your days get challenging. And especially you work with clients, things get challenging. But then you've got you have to always kind of bring it back to the purpose, like the things that are those that matter most. Your family, like the people you love, the people that the reason what you're doing it all for. 
at 24, my aims were different. That was fast cars, an Hermes bag, bag collection that would rival the, the Hermes store in Paris. You know, the, the fabulous properties I was able to build, the first class tickets abroad. At 41, I am wearing active wear a pair of ASICS joggers, my hair hasn't been washed for four days and I've got black roots instead of blonde roots. My my wants and desires and reason for being and pushing hard and moving on to the next trend and starting a different business are now about making sure that I am the backbone and that I can provide for my family the upbringing for the kids and the support that my husband needs going forward. The bags and all of that, yeah, I Instagram them. Why? Because it keeps me relevant. It keeps the people on Instagram looking and going, wow, how did she manage to get to there? Is it an important thing for me? Nope. I'm happy driving the Pixies Picks Hyundai van more so than a G63 Mercedes. You know, it, it sounds weird, but I think you grow, you mature. And the, the reason for putting up with the shit that comes with being an entrepreneur of sort of five-plus businesses, you know, um, it, it comes down to wanting to do it for my family and making sure that I can provide um, all of the opportunities that I was afforded. We'll be back with more with Roxy after a very, very quick break. Roxy, welcome back. Now, you've been pretty upfront about a lot of your struggles um, talking on this podcast alone just with us. Uh, one of them that I'd like to touch on is a few years ago you did the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. So I was wondering what was the tipping point for you to get help and get the help that you needed and why do you think it's so important that we have these kind of conversations about mental health? Oh, I mean, it is so important. And I think um, my mum's generation was shied away from saying if there was a problem. You know, it wasn't something that you spoke about. The what, most wonderful thing about all of these different platforms from social media, et cetera, that we have with, the, you know, obviously there's, there's not such positive things, but that we have an opportunity to share stories. Um, obviously when Ollie went to jail so long ago now, five years ago, my life went from husband and wife, two kids, living in a beautiful home in Wallara, to, ah, oh, right, okay, he's going to jail and two weeks later I've got breast cancer. I went down a path that was not smart. I, I found a boyfriend um, because I was on my own. I took drugs. I drank. I went out every other night uh, and I was really not who I am. Um, it got to a point where mixed with having breast cancer treatment, taking drugs, drinking too much, managing the businesses, being the sole carer to the two children. I was driving home one day. I was going through Rose Bay and I said to my mum, there's something wrong with me. I think I'm having a breakdown. I was all over the place. I couldn't remember where I'd left the children. It was like my brain went into absolute meltdown. And it was on that day, my mum was in Israel. I vividly remember I was driving past the boathouse, um, the restaurant there in Rose Bay, and she said, you've got to call the doctor. So I called Dr. Mordecai, fabulous local doctor, and I said to him, you have to admit me. You have to admit me to one of those places. I, I, I'm I was out of control. Make no mistake, I was going to work every day. I was the first there. I was the last to leave. 
I had gone from being a healthy 58 kilos to 47 kilos. I was posting these pictures on Instagram of this physique, which was malnourished, but I was so proud of it. And everyone was saying to me, oh, you look so good. And there was story after story on all sorts of platforms, media platforms about, you know, get Roxy Jasenko's figure. I was living on a diet of MDMA and rosé wine. And I got to a point where I was literally eating just each day six cooked tuna mini rolls. And I was proud of it. It was disgusting. It was sick. I look back at it now. Um, I'm very lucky that something didn't happen to me a lot worse. But Dr. Mordecai said to me, I'm not going to admit you to a clinic to help you. He said, because you're going to go in there and you're not going to come out. He gave me some medication just to try and even me out. Um, And it was at that point I went, okay, right, I need to go and speak to someone. I need to get my ducks in a row and I need to figure out where I am, what I'm doing and how I move forward from here to be a good mum, a healthy individual and a professional business person. Um, And I did that. I had a I won't lie, I had a few different meetings with different psychologists and, I mean, I remember leaving one and she told me that she thought the solution to my – she asked me if I cooked for the kids and I was like, no, I don't know how to cook. I said, we get takeaway or the cleaner will help out and make some schnitzel or whatever. She said, well, I suggest you learn to cook scrambled eggs. And I thought, wow, I paid $450 to be told I should learn to cook scrambled eggs. (laughs) That was insightful. So it took a bit of time to find the right person that I could actually talk to and walk away and feel confident and clear and, and, and to help me find a path to get back to some sort of a normal life, a normality. Um, I found that and I haven't done any of that since. Don't get me wrong. Who doesn't love a Tommy's margarita? But I now know my limit. You know, I stop at three, not 33. And I don't take drugs because I'm not stupid and I'm not 18 and learning about life. I'm a mother with responsibilities and a business to run. So life has changed dramatically. Um, I think there is nothing wrong with being candid. Uh, I don't care what people take away from me saying, well, this was the honest truth. This is what I did. That was my coping mechanism. Am I proud of it? Absolutely not. I should be. I should have been smarter. But when you're thrown into a situation you've never had to manage before, it's hard to be smart. It was a lot at once. You know, you're talking paparazzi on your towel chasing you through the streets. You're sitting having breakfast. There's a lens against the window of the cafe in Bills. Um, you know, I was getting emails from nasty people saying all of my, you know, belongings are from ill-gotten gains, etc. None of that was right, you know. They forget that I had my own business. Whatever Ollie did was when he was 21. I didn't even know the bloke then. But, you know, it was a hard time. I'd never dealt with it. I had no one to bounce ideas off or this is my situation or this is how I feel. So I dealt with it in my own way and that was to go rogue. But I've been there. I've done it. I've crossed that path and all is really well. You know, we've got a fabulous relationship. It's actually been a huge benefit. I think it put a lot into perspective for Ollie. Um, The kids, I mean, Pixie was an incredible support. I mean, she was so young, yet she was so mature through the whole situation. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, we all go through troubles. I don't care what people think if I tell the truth. I'd rather be the person who wears my heart on my sleeve, says it as it is, and then inspire other people that you're not on your own. You've been through shit and there is a way forward. Mm. And you just mentioned Pixie and how mature she was during that whole situation. Um, I'm wondering as well, given that she's got her own business, she's on Insta a lot as well, how do you make sure that she's protected and doesn't get impacted or influenced by the wrong messages? It is so hard and I'm glad you bring it up because at the moment, you know, she's 10 and 10 in 2022 is not like 10 in 2000. Um, it's a, a scary and it's a bad world out there. As a parent, I'm navigating it. And as Ollie lives in Tasmania, I navigated a lot on my own. Um, he he comes back on Friday evenings until Sunday. I'm navigating it on my own. I, I find it challenging to bounce situations off my mother because how it was when I was 10 is not how it is today. The impacts of social media and media in general are totally different. The expectations um, of what they, you know, want to do, etc. as kids are complete. I mean, I never left the house until I was 18. Pixie, her friends are going down to the local mall in Bondi Junction and expecting to be dropped off at 11 and collected at 6pm. I mean, let me tell you, I wouldn't have even dreamt of asking for such a thing. I have recently taken her mobile phone off her. The reason I did that is I feel like she was being, she she became so obsessed with it. She was looking on Snapchat. She was TikTok. She was Instagram. She only, she doesn't physically have a phone anymore. I just wanted her to be a kid, um, not so immersed in watching Charlie D'Amelio do this and, you know, that one do that. Um, I'm not trying to hide her from it, but I also think there's something quite nice about her sitting next to me and watching, as ridiculous as it sounds, Married at First Sight and laughing, you know, or watching The Voice or, you know, watching NCIS. That time just sat together and having a chit-chat and watching a program, it doesn't exist anymore when there's a phone involved. So that's why I've taken it off her. Um, I let her use it when I'm with her. So if she posts a video on there, that's because we're doing it together. Um, it's hard to protect. I don't have the answer. The times have changed. I think it is unfortunately trial and error. I have explained to her that she, being the redhead that she is, she's unique. Her name is even more unique. And because of me, she is amplified into a world that I suppose she never chose. Um, at the same time, it has given her amazing opportunities to participate and see and do different things. I mean, her ideas of fidgets, my mum was like, don't do that, it's too late, you've missed the boat. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to back her into it. We did and we've done incredibly well and it's now developed into a complete online toy store. So she's learning the importance. Yes, she's 10, but she's also learning the importance of, guess what? Mummy has earned money, but mummy's not going to give it to you. You have to be involved. You have to have a presence. It's so hard, and I wish I had the solution. I guess for me the biggest thing is the second she's not interested in being involved in the bow business with Maya or the, the toy business, well, then we won't do it anymore. But at the moment, she's enjoying it. It's giving her an insight into what life actually entails, and that is W-O-R-K. 
But in terms of, you know, exposure, it's hard. You know, I never went out there looking to give it to her. You've joked before that she'll, she'll probably retire about 15. What if she does? You, you, you'll tell her to keep working, right? You, like, that just sounds like it's something that you have drilled into that she... You know, I'm not even drilled, that's kind of a negative term, but it's more just like instilled her with those values of work. Look, I I say this to you. Make no mistake, I'm not, you know, trying to fool anyone. I am obviously the backbone of the business. I drive the business. Her involvement is working with what ranges we buy, telling me what she thinks is shit, and then I buy it anyway, and then she was right, and I end up having to sell it at 70% off. She isn't in there morning, noon and night. Why? Because her schooling is important. I want her to participate in tennis and netball and have those opportunities that kids have. I have it there for her. If she chooses to to carry it on in later life, fantastic. If she doesn't, so be it. We've done well. Move on to the next. Um, When I said she's probably going to retire at 15, I'm the queen of PR. I said it for a reason. That ended up global. That has been, that headline has been on the New York Post. She's just about to start filming with Galileo, um, the TV program in Germany. It's been in the Sun UK. Don't be fooled. I said it and I said it for a reason. Is she retiring at 15? Absolutely fucking not. Uh, (laughs) She's going to get a job at McDonald's. But... As the Queen of PR, my job is to make sure I bring sales in from all around the globe. And how do I do that? By quirky one-liners that become headlines. Clickbait. <laughs> well, we look forward to hearing the clickbait about our, our chat here today. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just sitting here waiting for, like, I'm like, soundbite, which soundbite, which one, which one? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Love it. It's tricky. It's tricky. I aim to please. <laughs> Now, you also have parlayed your reality TV stints into quite a few things. So what would you say to someone who might be, you know, on reality TV at the moment about how they could springboard their own um, brand through, through their experience? It's a, yeah, well, hmm. It's a very interesting one. You know, reality has made everyone think that because they've been on a show, they're going to be the next Jennifer Hawkins. Sorry, but every other show is a reality show. There's only going to be a handful of people like the Guy Sebastians, like the Samantha Jades, that stand out and really fly. And that's because they've got huge talent. Just because you're on TV and your name is known, that doesn't mean that Maya's going to come knocking on your door and offer you an ambassadorial role. And I think that is the most important thing I can say. Be realistic. You know, how many people I get coming to our door saying, I was on this show. Can you get me this, this and this? I had a request the other day from an influencer, no names mentioned, And his wish list for a particular Logie's appearance was Gucci. Are we being absolutely fucking serious? Gucci. No, you are not a celebrity in real terms. You are not global. You've put your hand up to be on a show where people watch and call it guilty pleasure. I just feel like... Be realistic. 
I think all of this influencer stuff is fantastic, but the ones who succeed and the ones who make money are the ones who have a craft behind them, be that singing or be that interior design, not just because they're another person who fit the bill. I find it infuriating. Look, I did Celebrity Apprentice because I had the business behind me. I knew I could pull my clients in to donate, but I still had a business. I never made it that was going to be my be all and end all and hope that I was going to become something from it. You have to have something else. Um, Influencing is fantastic. There is money to be made. Is it forever? Probably not. If you're a carpenter, please, God, stay stay being a carpenter. The influencer side can be your side hustle and can be your extra, you know, playing money. But, yeah, there's some really unrealistic expectations out there. Sorry. Gucci's not loaning to you if you've been on maths. So many interesting learnings from just even just like navigating the world of influencer life today. But with so much media fragmentation now, it can be harder to reach the right people with your PR messaging, right? Like if you have a if you have one piece of advice for small business owners about PR in 2022 and beyond, what would it be? Be fluid. The days of a press release and a press pack are over. Create short and sharp documents. Send them with targeted um, recipients rather than a blank carbon copy. Make it experiential. Don't think sending a blank carbon copy of one press release with three pages is ever going to get you any cut through. You'd rather get two nice pieces of coverage than send an email to those 500 people and get nothing. I think people are time poor. They want something that they can cut and paste. They want the imagery there. They want it done for them. Um, They're now, you know, managing sometimes three or four titles. You know, they don't have time for you to nag them to death. If they don't want to run it, don't drive them mad. If they want to run it, they'll call you. Oh, my God. I'm so glad to hear you say that. You're speaking our language right now. Honestly, honestly, God, give me strength. What I do on a daily basis is just, it it really is, it's, all of this stuff is basic common sense. And I feel like there is a sheer lack of common sense. If someone doesn't answer your email, that doesn't mean you follow up the same email with three more emails. (laughs) if you really feel that it is vital pick up the fucking phone they still exist make a call and then when they say no thank you don't email them the same thing again (laughs) thank you so much roxy thanks for this um my pleasure guys um it's been wonderful i'm sorry i stood you up so many times again with such an intro I would have been there first time. Well, but Roxy, if this was an episode of first dates, we'd probably be booking a second date. (laughs) Well, I'm so pleased I haven't lost my touch. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. Your honesty was so refreshing. It was just great. Um, And, of course, everybody listening, uh, thank you for joining us for First Act today and join us again next week for another surprising and scintillating, we hope, conversation with a world-class innovator.